grew up in the U.S., you're surrounded by materialism mm -hmm. and you see people buy things, uh, new clothes, new cars, new homes, going to school on student loans, using literally credit cards to buy their pets, to buy their food, to buy yep. their gas. Yep. It's one of those things that just culturally is expected in America. Welcome to Getting Money Right, a show dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom through education and inspiration, so you can be free to pursue your true life's purpose. We are your hosts, Leo Sabo and David Thompson, and on this first episode of 2020, we want to start a series on dealing with debt. Yeah, that's right, Leo. This is probably the number one issue in America mm -hmm. is financial struggles around debt yep. and people that have uh, inadvertently um, simply walked into debt. Kind of yep. one of those things that uh, it, growing up in America, if you grew up in the U.S., you're surrounded by materialism mm -hmm. and you see people buy things, uh, new clothes, new cars, new homes, going to school on student loans, using literally credit cards to buy their pets, to buy their food, to buy yep. their gas. Yep. It's one of those things that just culturally mm -hmm. is expected in America. You turn 18 or you turn 21, how about you go get a credit card? Yeah. Uh, you know, oh, you turn 16, right. Yeah, you turn 16, <laughs> go get a car. And it's, you know, it's just, it's, it's expected. It's like, this is, you should have a, a car at 16 or a car at 18, a credit mm -hmm. card at 18, a credit card at 21. You, you should go to college no matter what the cost is because you deserve it. Right. Or you need an education. <laughs> or you need an education. Sure, right. Sure. And, and so there's just culturally this idea that debt is okay as long as it serves what you want. Mm. And I don't, I don't subscribe to that. And I don't think Maybe either one of us do, Leo, but, right. but that's the culture that we're in. And so we know that this is a great place to start. 2020 is a brand new decade, is with the goal and the intention and the desire to get completely debt-free, yeah. to completely remove any financial bondage from your life. And I say financial bondage because debt literally traps you to something. Mm. It is an obligation that you have put your own name on. If you right. had a credit card, you literally signed to get the credit card and you put your name on that and you said, I will, with my signature, I will pay this. Mm. And so you are obliged to pay. You, you bought stuff. Somebody allowed you to buy that stuff using their money. You're going to pay them back. But that's an obligation that means you have to go to work. You have to lower other areas of your lifestyle in order to make that payment. Mm -hmm. And as you're obligated to something, it takes away other options in your life. Yeah. And so 2020, we want to help you remove that obligation. We want to help you find complete debt freedom and really be free to pursue your true life's purpose. Amen. <laughs> so that's the heart. And I think I think the best way to do this, Leo, and you and I are a little bit nerdy, is uh, to start with some statistics about yep. debt. <laughs> hey, before we go to statistics, though, you know, financial uh, goals are usually part of most people's New Year resolutions, right? And probably in the top three, I would say, is getting out of debt. Oh, always. And And so before we go into statistics, I wanted to say that because... Most of us have dealt with debt in some way. Shape, absolutely, or form. absolutely. Uh, what put me on this path of educating others about finances was the fact that I bought into this American uh, dream yeah, uh, yeah. Of, of having everything that your eyes could you know see. And I tried to live that way for a while. And I mm -hmm. worked my tail off to be able to sustain that kind of lifestyle where I just pretty much bought whatever I wanted. And eventually, though, I realized that I could go beyond hmm. my income. Then, yeah. I could borrow and borrow <laughs> and borrow. And once we were at 13 credit cards and my income stopped, 
That's mm. when I woke up. Yeah. And it's true. For many of us, it happened so gradual and so unintentional that it literally puts us into a bind and it's what I consider modern day slavery. Unfortunately, yeah. though, it's we're the ones who are willingly going into this and right. allowing the shackles to be put on. But there is a way to get out. Yeah. And so, so if this is your New Year's goal to pay off your debt, then you're listening to the right podcast. That's right. That's right. And and just like Leo said, uh, I really don't believe there should be any shame around this topic no. because this is something that literally millions of Americans struggle with and mm. people all over the globe, but especially here in America. And we'll go through some of these stats and it's just, it's mind boggling because culturally it's accepted. And so as we begin to talk about removing debt, you're actually being a little bit weird. And I think that's cool. You're mm -hmm. being weird by getting out of debt, right. by having a plan for your money, by having a budget in place, by wanting to save for long-term income replacement goals to really pursue what you were created to do. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. So if you're paying off debt or you have a desire to begin a plan, you're in a really great place. And we just want to honor that. We say like, great job, keep going. We're here to spur you on to motivate and share and help really with some practical tips and a little bit of motivation. Yes, that's true. So let's just start with the first uh, statistic that I really wanted to share, which is that $1.1 trillion is what Americans today owe in credit card debt. That's $6,762 per credit card holder. I can't even fathom a trillion dollars. Like, mm. I don't even know what bucket to put that in. Because I know that a million dollars, if I give you a dollar a second, mm. you would have a million dollars in like 11 days. I'm like, hey, that's pretty good. I'll, I'll do that. <laughs> if you were to get to a billion, a billion is a thousand millions, mm -hmm. it would take 33 years wow. to get to a billion at a dollar per second. Now, to get to a trillion, which is a thousand billions... I don't even know. I don't know how long it would <laughs> take. Several lifetimes. Lifetimes. Sure. Lifetimes. So a, a trillion dollars is absolutely massive. Yeah. And that's how much credit card debt we have in America. Yeah. yeah it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's insane. 65% of people in America don't know when or if they will ever get out of debt. And I find this really sad because it tells me that we've almost resolved ourselves to the fact that debt yeah. is just part of what we have to deal with that there's no other way to live except to have some kind of debt and people i'm telling you that is a lie you mm -hmm. can live without debt yeah absolutely uh 71 of households that make somewhere between thirty thousand and fifty thousand owe credit card debt mm. so 71 of households in kind of that medium income range yep. it's literally middle class range mm -hmm. Have, have have credit card debt, 71%. Uh, I even saw uh, a, a while back that said that about seven out of 10 Americans have some type, or not seven out of 10 Americans, but seven out of 10 credit card holders mm. are delinquent on at least one yeah. card. Yeah. Seven out of 10. So here's seven out of 10 people in the median income range have credit card debt. And then if we know that seven out of 10 people who have credit cards are delinquent in one of their mm -hmm. categories, that's unbelievable. This is yeah. where we're at today. Yeah. And I think it goes along with the credit scores. You know, oh, yeah. Uh, su such a high number of people have uh, a lower credit score, and that's obviously because of the credit and, uh, and the delinquencies that are, that are happening, because of just being overburdened with it. 
Yeah, Leo. So now that we've really established how big of an issue this is, Mm -hmm. it's important to realize that most of the people that you and I have talked to over the years that begin to fight back against their debt, uh, they do what I would kind of call a false start. Mm. So they start to run forward and they say, okay, I want to attack this debt. And they think that the best way to do that, I think it's more of a wake-up call, uh, is that they they look at how much debt they have, they look at how high the interest rates are, Mm -hmm. and so their first step is to try to attack the interest rates and to say, okay, hey, I'm paying 20%. Well, you know what? I'm just going to move this to a lower interest debt. Mm -hmm. And they, in their mind, think that's the best way to go at this, but it's really a false start because if you just look at the interest rate, you're not actually taking a step back. And answering the question, how did I get here? Yes. What really caused me to get into debt? Because it wasn't interest rates that got you into debt. You weren't like mathematically thinking through every spending decision. Oh, well, the interest rate, if I carry the one and I cross over the two, and there's no way. It wasn't based on reason and logic that you walked into debt. So you've got to figure out what was it emotionally, Mm. mentally, income-wise, spending-wise, if you don't deal with the real reason that you got into debt, then you're going to end up right back in that place. Even if you lower your interest rate from 20% to zero, it's actually going to allow you to keep spending. Mm. It's not actually going to fix the problem. So the false start is when you say, oh, I'm going to deal with it in one of these really simple, quick ways instead of actually getting at the root. Yeah, this is one of the topics that we touched on when we talked about root and fruit, that when you're dealing with a symptom, you're really not going to the root of the issue. And so what we want to communicate here is that when you finally have that wake-up call, whatever that is that motivates you to say, hey, this is a bit out of hand. Maybe it is that first delinquent payment, like you Mm, can't make the payment mm -hmm. because something happened and you had an emergency and you can't make the credit card payment and deal with this emergency. And all of a sudden, it wakes you up to the fact that, gosh, there's a problem. And now you start looking at the interest rates, you start looking at the balances, and you're like, okay, I got to do something. But if you stop there and then go further and ask, how did I get here? Not just why did I pull the credit card out, but how did I do it and why did I do it? You'll probably just solve the symptom, and the symptom will be repeated because the root cause is still there. It'll come back. In fact, there's statistics that prove that people who get out of debt Mm. by either lowering their credit cards, taking out a home equity line of credit, uh, doing a debt consolidation, anything like that that allows that debt to be reduced and got rid of quick, they are bound to repeat it. And when they come back into debt again, it's actually at a higher balance than before. Yeah. So this is why we talk about not dealing with the symptom, but really going to the root cause. So we want to touch on some of the wrong ways that for most people, I think they would think this is the right way to eliminate debt. And we're not saying that using these uh, tactics or these ways of getting out of debt is bad. What we want to say is make sure that when you're doing this, that you've dealt with a real issue. I remember when I first got into finances and I started really realizing that I didn't really know what I was doing and I started learning about it. I remember listening to this show and this guy that was, was answering questions and it was a typical question that would come across almost every single week would be, should I refinance my house Mm. or take an equity line of credit out of my home in order to pay off my high interest credit cards because I can get an interest in my home equity line of credit for about three to five percent maybe seven percent and I'm paying 20 percent on my credit card and so from a mathematical perspective it makes sense right why pay why pay 20 percent when you can pay seven percent and the question would be asked of this radio program host and he would say have you taken care of the real problem 
Mm-hmm. And the person would say, well, what do you mean? Yeah, what do you mean? Well, why did you get into debt in the first place? Because if you don't address that issue, then you getting out of debt this way doesn't solve the issue right. that caused you to get into right. it. So that issue will continue, which means you'll get into debt again. Yeah, I had the same thing where uh, I was just talking to somebody and they said, well, you know, I, I have uh, $20,000 of debt that I really want to roll into a HELOC because mm-hmm. it's on a high interest loan and a HELOC being a home equity line, line of, of credit, credit. Yep. right? So your home equity line of credit and and I was like, oh, wow, you know, what happened? Have you guys been overspending? No, 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 it's not our fault. Uh, we had to buy a car for our son. And so that's why we want to get this home equity line of credit. And they're like, but, you know, we're not going to do it again. You know, like this was a one-time thing. Right. And, and my immediate thought process was, well, you got to fix the problem first. Because the problem is that your son needed a car and you spent $20,000 yeah. <laughs> to buy him a car. Right. And that means that one, you didn't save for five years. So you didn't personally learn delayed gratification or teach your son delayed gratification. Right. There's a problem. Yeah. Two, your son didn't have to work for it. Your son could be driving a $3,000 mm-hmm. used vehicle on payments that keep it below the equity in the vehicle and really allow you to not be upside down ever on that loan. And he could pay it off in a year, you know, right. like he could take care of it. So, so it was, it was, you know, Oh, well, no, we're not bad with that. You know, we don't overspend. Uh, we, we just, we, we didn't think about it. We had to buy this car first. And I'm like, no, that's actually a root issue there. Like there's delayed <laughs> yeah. gratification. There's yeah. training your children. There's you being in communication with your spouse of what we're actually going to purchase for our kids and what we're not going to and having those conversations well in advance. And so then it's going to be what happens when he goes to college? What happens when he gets married? What happens when he needs down payment for his first, you know, rental, um, when he's going to go rent or buy a home? Mm-hmm. It, like this is going to come back up if you don't deal with the actual root. Right. But a lot of times people don't think, oh, well, you know, I didn't spend it at Macy's on clothes. Therefore, I don't have an issue. It's like, no, you know, buying cars, buying, uh, buying tires for your vehicle, you can plan for that in the budget. There's so many things that, that, oh, Christmas came around. There's no way I could have anticipated that. Mm. No, you can have a plan in place. <laughs> Comes and, around every year. Yeah. So, so take time. I love what you're saying with this radio host. Yeah. And Leo, now you and I are radio hosts. You know, we're <laughs> dealing with that. Like same kind of thing, right? Yeah. It, it's the same. And I got that question and I was just like, okay, well, let's talk through what this home equity line of credit is because it actually ties to your home. This isn't unsecured debt. This is debt that if you have a problem, mm-hmm. then they can come after your house. Like yeah. they're going to get the money back out. Yeah. And Cars so, paid off. Right. But the home, the second line of credit or the HELOC is not. Right. And if you lose your job and can make the payment and you go in arrears and eventually the bank's like, okay, it's time and they foreclose on you, you're going to lose that home. Yeah. And any equity you have in that home. Right because you took the chance of borrowing. So that's one of the negative things. There's others, of course. One, the other is you're taking a loan that maybe at the high end should have been five or six years. Right. And now you're putting it into a 20 to 30 year. Because <laughs> a home equity line of credit is going to be in those same kind of terms that right. your mortgage is in. Yeah, 10 years or more. Yeah, usually. that's crazy. Yep. And how long are you going to take to pay that off? And how much interest is that going to cost you? It could literally cost you twice as much. Another reason why people use HELOCs, of course, is to take all of their high-interest credit cards, pay it off. Mm-hmm. The problem with that is also, again, yes, you're, you're reducing your interest, but you're paying 19%, let's say, on your credit cards. But if you focus, if you pay them down, pay the five to six, $7,000 credit card down, rather than putting it into a mortgage, 
right? Refinancing right. and taking money out. Well, and you do have to refinance or you yes. have to have closing costs when you set up one of these loans typically. Mm-hmm. So there's an added cost. Sure. There's added cost up front. There's added cost, uh, of course, to the interest because now that interest is spread over literally 15 to 30 years. Yeah. So now instead of paying maybe $1,000 over two years, if you focus and pay it down, you might be paying ten thousand dollars because yeah. that's that's a thirty-year mortgage. Yeah, yeah. So, when you when you look at your home, uh, let's say you get a hundred thousand-dollar home on a thirty-year mortgage, you end up paying well over two hundred thousand. I think it's like two hundred and sixty-four thousand, yeah, something like, along those lines, depending it's on the interest rate. One and a half times rate. usually. It's at least yeah, one and a half times, but it can be even more uh, depending on your interest rate and yes. depending on the terms. And so, when you do a thirty-year loan on something, even hmm. if it's a lower interest rate. You're paying that low interest rate for a lot longer. A long time. <laughs> yeah. Look at your payments. I mean, you, when you usually, usually do a mortgage payment, especially early on, you'll see that about 80 to 90 percent of your interest mm-hmm. of your payment, excuse me, of your payment is going toward interest. And only about 10 to 15 percent is going to the actual principal. So that means at the front end, it's loaded on the front end where you're paying all this interest. So if you were to take fifteen to $20,000 worth of credit cards and put it into a home mortgage and you pay that for the next 30 years, and then maybe five years down the road, you decide I'm going to refinance or I'm going to sell the home and buy something else. I mean, every single time you do it, you're just paying more and more money. And it's such a huge waste over time. Yeah. I'll give you a quick example. This is this will blow your mind, but I'm, I think I mentioned it one other time in another episode, but my father-in-law and mother-in-law bought a home back in probably in the 60s, early 60s, I would say, right after they got married, they bought a home. The home price was $17,500. I know we all wish that yeah, was still the wow. case, but of course, inflation and all that has taken its toll. So it's it's equivalent to what yeah, it is today. Yeah, it was today. equivalent, right. Back then it was a, a month. Yeah, it was Exactly, because their income right. was probably 3000 a year. Right. So, uh, but it was $17,500. They sold the home 30-some years later. Okay, they lived in that home for 30-some years. They sold the home. They sold the home for two hundred and ninety some thousand, I think. Okay. Something like that. But they owed ninety thousand on the mortgage when they sold it. Even though they bought it for seventeen thousand. Yes. They owed ninety thousand still. Yes. And the reason is because every five to ten years or so, they would take money out either to pay off credit cards or to do some mm-hmm. upgrades on the home. Mm-hmm. So they use the home as a way of financing different things. Right. And it's unfortunate because a seventeen thousand five hundred dollar loan. 30 some years later. Now, during right. that whole time, they made payments. Sure. Right. Yeah. I mean, right. it should have been paid off. There was a there was an original timetable yeah. to have it paid off in yeah. 30 years. Right. If you did the math, I think it would shock most of us of how much money that went into that home. Now, yeah. it was their home and they lived sure. it and they were right. happy and that's great. Yeah. So there's nothing wrong with that. There's going to be a cost and we can't do away with that. But the fact that there was $90,000 loan left right. over on the mortgage that should have been paid off at least four or five years earlier completely. Right, right. <laughs> and probably a $150 a month mortgage. Yeah. Um, it, it's sad. But this is what potentially could happen to most of us if we continue to use HELOCs or refinancing our home mortgage, second mortgages, in order to fund or to allow us to pay down our debt. Yeah. It's just not the best way to do it. There's yep. better ways to do it. We're going to talk about those in the future. But right now, we just want to say HELOCs or refinancing, taking money out of your home, 
is not a good way to pay down debt. Yeah. And I did look up what a 30-year mortgage would be at 4% interest. You would pay 1.7 times the amount mm -hmm. of the usual loan, which is pretty much what you yep. said, Leo. So if it's a $100,000 house, you'd pay $170,000 for that home. At 5% interest, it would be about $200,000 for the home. So it'd be mm -hmm. double what your original loan is. And that's what happens. Let's say you do a 5% HELOC over 30 years, you're going to pay double what you originally borrowed. You borrowed 10,000, you're going to end up paying a total of 20,000. You mm -hmm. borrowed 20,000, you're going to pay a total of 40,000. It's not exactly that those numbers, but when you add in closing costs, and if you're not aware of stretching out that loan and what that can do to you, mm -hmm. it can really hurt you financially. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Another one is borrowing from a 401k. Uh, sometimes people will use like a hardship to take money out of a 401k in order to pay down credit card debt or what we call unsecured debt. This is just as bad as using a HELOC because what you're doing is you're actually taking money off the table that should be used to provide that compound growth of interest so that 30 years from now, you've got a comfortable income coming in from right. that retirement right. investment. Yeah, the only time I would look at doing something from a 401k or an IRA of some kind would be is if you're about to go into bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. And even then, personally... I, I personally, I'd probably pull from the 401k and the IRA for moral reasons, because mm -hmm. if I was going bankrupt yeah. and I felt I truly had a moral obligation to pay, I mean, this depends on what I went bankrupt for. Sure. Um, I actually know of a, a pastor that went bankrupt because he got sued um, with punitive damages for standing in against abortion. Yeah. And, and so the judge was very strong pro-abortion and said, not only am I going to allow this company to sue you for standing in the way of abortion, I'm going to allow them to make an example of you and mm. sue you for millions and yep. millions of dollars, which right. is, it was literally ludicrous for what he'd done. He hadn't done anything illegal. He was just standing for, right. for to right. go against abortion. And so in that situation, I wouldn't necessarily draw from my 401k to avoid bankruptcy. No. There are scenarios, right? Yeah. But, but in general, if I had borrowed money from someone and I was being forced into bankruptcy, then mm -hmm. I would probably withdraw from my 401k. Yep. But if it's not a moral issue, realize that most states, especially here in Texas, I know it is, but in many states, your 401k and your other retirement assets are protected from bankruptcy. Yes. And so uh, even from a moral standpoint there, legally, the law says I don't have to withdraw money from my 401k to pay off a debt. Mm -hmm. Now, morally, I have a biblical personal sense of obligation because I believe that if you make a vow to pay something, you should pay it. Yes. So I'd have to really figure out what was going on in that situation. I hopefully will never be in that situation. But but legally, you don't have to. And legally, it makes a lot of sense to not take money out of your 401k, even in a bankruptcy situation. Well, even in a bankruptcy, if you, if you don't do a Chapter 7, which is complete liquidation, uh, you can do a restructuring type, yeah. meaning that your creditors are going to give you enough time yeah. and create Lower a plan so that yep. you can actually pay most of that back. And that's a way to go. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, don't, don't do, I want to walk away from all of my responsibilities, right. take the other option. And I think it's chapter 11 if you do that. And if you do that, then it allows you that ability to, to pay it over time. Yeah. So you don't have to drain your 401k. Yeah. Yeah, and if you borrow from your 401k just to pay off credit cards or non-secured loans, uh, what you're doing is you're taking money that was protected by bankruptcy laws and mm -hmm. making it unprotected, and you're also going to have to pay the penalty 
for withdrawing money before yes. age 59 and a half. Yeah. Uh, now, there are a few hardship laws in some states that if there's a financial hardship issue uh, or a medical debt issue, they may allow you to avoid that penalty. But most of the time, one, you're going to pay taxes on it. Two, you're going to pay a 10% penalty for taking it out before 59 and a half. Mm-hmm. So if your taxes are 20% a year yep. uh, on federal income and 10% of a penalty, you're now paying 30% to mm. borrow that money yeah. to pay off a credit card. I think I would just learn to change my habits and knock yeah. that credit card out. I mean, you're trying to save 20%, but you're paying 30%. Exactly. <laughs> um, exactly. It just doesn't, mathematically, it doesn't make sense. So definitely don't consider that one. The next is to borrow from family. And this one for me, Leo, uh, is a big no-no. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, if at all possible, you always want to avoid going into debt to your family because it changes the relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I, I take a real biblical stance on this. There's a scripture that says the borrower becomes servant to the lender, and the amplified version says become slave to the lender. There is a, a spiritual shift. There's a change that occurs when you go into debt to someone, the relationship changes, mm-hmm. hands down. I've seen it time and time again. Let's say you go into debt to your father-in-law, and, and he's trying to help you buy a home for you and your new bride. Now, all of a sudden, every time that you get together for Christmas and you're exchanging presents, you know, you're thinking, oh, maybe I spent too much on presents and I or should be paying. Or he's thinking, right. hmm, should you have spent that much money when you owe me this much money? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So so it's going to change the relationship if you borrow from siblings, if you borrow from parents, if you borrow from uh, cousins, whoever it is. It changes the dynamic. And I would much rather you have a business professional relationship with somebody that you're borrowing money from that is protected by laws, that isn't going to mess with family dynamics and real long-term relationships, then I would just say stay away from borrowing from family completely. Yeah, 100% agree with that. I would also say uh, stay away from consolidation loans. And these are loans where you take all of your debt, you work with an organization, a company that will look at all of your debt and they will consolidate. They will take all of your credit cards. They have pre-agreed upon terms, interest rates that are lower than what you you and I could normally get. So maybe let's say you have a 19% with a Citibank. They might have an agreed 5% rate. So now they can give you that 5%. So what happens is they take all of your credit cards, they reduce them all by the percentage agreements that they have, and they will give you a lower payment. Of course, that's usually due only because the interest is lower, not because anything has been yeah, or reduced. Or they spread or out the time zone, Yep, the yeah. time horizon. Yep. So they, Well, the time horizon, I think, max is five years. So oh, okay. it doesn't yep. go beyond five years, but it does have to fit your budget. They will actually ask you all the information that you would need to know in order to create a budget. Mm-hmm. They're going to ask you about every expense you make, what your income is, what your expenses are, because they're going to try to determine, can you actually afford to pay this payment? Yeah. Because understand, when you go into a consolidation loan, here's what you're actually saying. I can't stay in agreement with the original agreements that I've made. So therefore, I'm going to make another agreement with a separate company right. that's going to pay off all these other companies, and now I'm going to deal with this company to make those payments for me. And so you're bringing in a third party to represent you to these other companies. And the bad thing about that is you're making another agreement, and if you break that, there are some severe consequences to that. Because that's a second agreement you've broken. So I don't recommend them for multiple reasons. Uh, Very few people that I've ever, ever coached would I recommend it for. 
I think it's good in some ways, but my number one reason why I would not recommend it is what we talked about at the beginning of the episode, which is that it won't solve the real problem. Right. And the other reason is that usually when you are able to lower your payment, let's say your minimum payments are a thousand a month, right? And now you go through a death consolidation and maybe they go down to 500 a month because of the lower interest and everything else. So now you've got $500 that's just been freed up. Mm-hmm. And a lot of folks, unfortunately, fall into that. Instead of taking that 500 and put it into a savings account so they never have to borrow again, they'll actually take that 500 and use it to borrow more. <laughs> right. Um, and then realize that any time that you don't make that payment, it, go, it reverts back to the original agreement. So you miss one payment, you're in trouble. I had a friend who used a debt consolidation company. I think it was two or three years that they made payments. The last payment they made, the debt consolidation company made a mistake and they didn't post the payments to the credit card companies. They paid in time, but they didn't pay in time. Guess who was held up with the, with the problem? They're the ones who had to own it. The debt consolidation company did not stand behind their agreement, so to speak. Oh, wow. And so now all of their forgiven interest, right? Because realize right. that now they're paying 5% instead of 19%. So all that forgiven interest was now tacked back on. So now they owed all this extra money on all of their credit cards that they had been paying and they should have been paid off with that one last payment. Right. But wow. all of it reverted back to the original agreement. So that all that math came back. They said, okay, we forgave you this much because of the low interest, but because you defaulted, that gets tacked back on. And they had to make payments for several months after that mm. until it got settled. It finally did get cleared up. They had to make multiple payments. None of that money was returned, by the way. Oh, of course. The company never, never stood by its product. My point is this. It's taken a chance to go into and, and invite someone else into this equation, but it doesn't actually solve the real problem because the real problem wasn't caused because of the debt consolidation company or the credit card companies. You have to go back to the original. Why did you have to borrow? Did you have to borrow? And if you did, what caused you? You know, was it because you didn't have any savings and you were in a pinch? Maybe you had an emergency. Maybe it was a medical or an auto or some kind of emergency that you felt like, if I don't do this, I'm going to lose the ability to go to work or I'm not going to have my, my health. We understand these things come up. This is why we focus so much on budgeting because it is the foundation that right. helps you to then have the ability to stay out of debt. So our advice is always going to be build a budget so that you know exactly what you need to live on and then prioritize your savings and your spending before any other debt is taken on, any other purchases made. And if it doesn't fit the budget, you don't do it. Right, I mean, right. Impulse buying kind of dies off when you have a budget that tells you what you can and cannot do. Yeah, have a budget which would be spend on purpose yeah. and then save before you spend and then increase your margin, yeah. right? And if you're going through these steps, then you'll be able to avoid debt or dramatically knock that out quickly, mm-hmm. which will allow you to do the fourth step of investing wisely. And and it's just so important to realize that debt consolidation, <laughs> it's a con because yeah. it tricks you into thinking you've made progress. It's right. another false start. You start moving quickly forward, but because you got ahead of the pack in the race, you look back and you're like, oh, I- I'm the hare. I'm so far ahead of the tortoise mm. that I can slow down. I don't need to do anything else because you have a lower interest rate the payments are no longer causing you any pain. That's right. It's manageable. So it's manageable. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden you've been conned back into a false sense of security while you're carrying this debt yep. and you end up adding more debt to it. So you have to be very cautious of debt consolidation. 
And then the final one that we really want to warn you about and say we don't recommend at all (laughs) at all is debt settlement. So this is stuff that you're going to see advertised all over the place, especially if you're the place where you can't make your payments. Mm -hmm. Now, as you're listening to this, if you cannot make your payments today, hold on for the next two episodes because we are going to go deep into what to do to A, begin to pay off your debt Mm -hmm. uh, just in general, and then B, if you can't make your payments We're going to go into basically a do-it-yourself debt settlement type of situation and walk through exactly how to negotiate, exactly how to communicate, exactly what steps you need to have in place to begin to remove debt from your life, even if you can't make all your payments today. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you're going to see debt settlement companies offer they can get you out of debt in three years and pay less than half of what you originally owed. Mm -hmm. Um, They'll they'll do all sorts of gimmicks to draw you in, Mm -hmm. but you have to realize that this industry is filled with problems, loopholes, bad contracts, high fees. Uh, This is one of those places where it is very rare to find a good, reputable company Mm -hmm. that's doing the right thing for its customers and actually helping people remove debt from their life. Uh, this is you see so many problems here, uh, and there's no guaranteed results. You could mm-hmm. work with a company, and they could still end up doing everything they know to do, and still not actually get the results that you want. Right. It's possible, right. and it's possible that you may still end up going into bankruptcy after you paid them a bunch of fees and money to work on your behalf. So debt which, settlement, which by the way is always on the front end. Oh, the way yeah. these the way these companies work is they take their fee usually by creating a separate account where you put money into it. And usually it's either the first few months is their fee or half of the payment is their fee. So for instance, Mm -hmm. let's say you work out a deal and they say, because the way it works is this way. They tell you, you're going to create an account where you're going to put a certain amount of money in. And it's usually a lot less than what you're making payments right now. So you'll say, well, that's great. $300 a month. I can do that. But usually half of that 300 will be their fee. So for the first six months, you'll put in 300, but only 150 will be actually credited Mm -hmm. to the account. So in six months, you have $900 in there. And then over time, you continue to put that $300 in. And the idea is that as you build that up, they'll have two, three, four thousand $4,000 in there over a year or two. And now they'll begin to negotiate your debt one at a time, one credit card at a time, based on what money you have. So let's say you have a $10,000 credit card. They'll come and say, well, you take $2,000. And like you said, there's no guarantees that they'll actually be able to do that. Right. The reason I don't like it, David, is because what it what they do is they use uh, two tactics. One, they put a barrier between you and your creditor by issuing each one of them a cease and desist letter, meaning they cannot contact you at all. Now, some of those could trigger an actual lawsuit, so they mm-hmm. could actually trigger a lawsuit for you. Most of the time, it doesn't. But they they create a barrier between you and your creditor. And now they have to communicate to them instead of to you. The second thing that they'll do is they'll use the process of time to squeeze the creditor to pay less and less and less. Mm -hmm. The longer they put them off, the more chance that they'll get a significant amount reduced. So I don't like that because what it does is it really sours your relationship between you, you and your creditor and creates this unhealthy perspective where the creditor now is the evil person. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Who borrowed the money and didn't pay. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I don't like the the moral uh, perspective they take on this. I think it's very much making the creditors out, make, made out to be evil. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that creditors aren't, I mean, 19, 20, 25, 29% is crazy. Yeah. But you're not forced to do it. It's not a I have to, I don't have a choice. It's a personal 
choice that I go into these credit card uh, debt. So for me, that's where the line is drawn. So I don't like them for that reason, but also because there's no benefit uh, long-term for you. Uh, it could last way longer than what you could do it on your mm -hmm, own. Mm -hmm. And like David said, you may actually even end up in bankruptcy as these credit card companies will eventually yeah. fall suit. And you're probably going to pay more and you have the ability to do it yourself. Mm -hmm. They're not doing anything that you can't do on your own. And so that's what we're going to walk you through in the next episode. And I just want you to take a minute and go over to leosabo.com and go to the tools and resources and begin to download some of the get out of debt tool, the, the debt snowball, the create a budget, download some of those now in preparation for the next episode so that you can be ready to kind of walk through this process of making sure you have a plan in place, making sure you have a list of all your debts. We're going to go through each step to make sure that if you are in that place of struggling to pay off even the minimum, if you struggle to make the minimum payments every month, you'll have exactly what you need to actually communicate with your creditors. And come over to stewardshippastors.com and check out our webpage, check out all the cool tools and resources that we have to help you and your church and wherever you have a community organization of people that want to learn better finances, come check out stewardshippastors.com where we train stewardship leaders on how to lead their people in finances. And then come over and check out the book, Jesus on Money. Uh, it's almost finished and we'll be releasing soon. Come check out, it's every scripture that Jesus ever said around stewardship and possessions, being a good manager, what it looks like to see every word that Jesus said about money. Mm -hmm. So I really hope that you've enjoyed this episode. You'll take a minute to go and share it on social media or text a link of this episode to somebody that you know that might be dealing with that, a family member, a friend, uh, somebody that you're close to at work. Mm -hmm. Shoot them the link and just say, hey, I heard this. I thought this might be helpful because this is going to be a three-part series to help people completely knock out debt. So I hope that you enjoyed this episode and we look forward to having you join us next time so that together we can keep getting money right. Why did you get into debt in the first place? Because if you don't address that issue, then you getting out of debt this way doesn't solve the issue Right. That caused you to get into right. it. So that issue will continue, which means you'll get into debt again. Mm -hmm.